What's up, guys? Welcome back to Storytime with Uncle Reddit. My name's John, and this is r slash malicious compliance. Sorry it's been a while on this channel. Uh, tried to do a couple episodes when we were out camping this past week, and it didn't go well. We got one episode of Tales from Tech Support done, and uh, yeah, it took over 24 hours just for the upload. Uh, that doesn't include editing time and anything else, and uh, it's not an area that's traditionally known for a really horrible signal either, so... Anyway, I wasn't going to keep trying to fight that battle and run the data up super high for, you know, something that may be just mediocre for you guys at best. So I figured I'd hold off on that. I'm going to try to record some more this upcoming weekend while I'm out in the camper and see how it goes. But for now, while we're home, we're going to do what we can do here. All right, let's read some malicious compliance. Malicious compliance, immigration law edition. This is a tale of how I maliciously complied my client into a much better visa route after the home office refused her first application. I'm an immigration lawyer in the UK, and if you don't know anything about our immigration system, it's just a mess. The rules are tough, often cruel, very complex, and there's very little flexibility. It doesn't matter how sympathetic someone's circumstances are. If you don't meet all the rules, you're not coming in, even if it's to join your family. Even if you're an elderly person who just wants to spend their final years with their British children. Especially if you're an elderly person who just wants to spend their final years with their British children. Enter Doris, not her real name. Doris is a 93-year-old Australian citizen who lives alone in a nursing home. All her children are in the UK. Doris had a modest wish, to move in with her daughters in the UK and spend her twilight years with her family. She was in pretty good health, but her continuing isolation led to anxiety and depression, especially after she was the victim of a robbery. So Doris did what she thought was the right way of going about it. She applied to move to the UK as an adult-dependent relative. What she did not know was that this route had almost impossible requirements, so tough that only about 5% of these applications are actually granted outright, and a further 5% succeed on appeal. So the odds are pretty terrible, and you don't get the £3,250 application fee that you paid back if it's refused. Alongside financial and relationship requirements, she had to show that she required continuous care with everyday tasks like dressing and cooking for herself, and that this care is not available in Australia. She could meet neither of these rules, and her application was refused. The refusal letter made a point of emphasizing her excellent health, important later, as evidenced by the letter she included from her doctor, completely ignoring the parts about her anxiety and depression. This is when she approached my firm for help. Now, appealing this decision would have been a waste of time. She clearly didn't need constant care with everyday tasks, and any care she might have needed could be found in Australia. But after speaking with Doris, we realized something. Not only was she a Commonwealth citizen, as a citizen of Australia, but both of her grandparents were born in the UK. So we hatched a plan. The plan. What Doris didn't know is there was another visa she might be eligible for. UK Ancestry. To meet the requirements, she had to be a Commonwealth citizen and have at least one grandparent born in the UK. Done and done. However, this was technically a work visa, so she had to intend to work in the UK, and she was very much retired. The thing about the UK Ancestry route is that the Commonwealth citizenship slash UK-born grandparent requirements meant that, overwhelmingly, the people who qualify for this route are white. And because our immigration system is somewhat racist, that means that many aspects of this visa are very generous or even lax compared to other routes. You get a five-year visa straight away instead of having a two-and-a-half-year one that has to be renewed at extortionate prices before you can qualify for permanent residence. Even the application fee is lower than other categories. 
Crucially, when it comes to the work aspect, you don't need to be sponsored by an employer. You don't need to work a certain number of hours. The work can be on and off, and even volunteering counts as work. This will be important later. The malicious compliance. You say Doris is in such great health that she doesn't qualify for an adult-dependent relative visa? Okay, cool. She'll apply for a work visa then. Since the work could be volunteering, she reached out to a community center in the UK and offered to volunteer at a lunch service they provided for the elderly. The center was thrilled to have a new volunteer and wrote her a letter confirming this. After preparing all of the other documents, including some going as far back as the 19th century, like her grandparents' birth certificates, we were almost ready to go. All that remained was our covering letter. After outlining how she met all the requirements, I couldn't resist quoting from her previous refusal letter about her excellent health and explaining that given that Doris would now be working in the UK. I also provided details of the few hours a week she would be volunteering at the community center and reminded them that their own guidance says they cannot discriminate by age. Her visa was granted and she has now joined her family in the UK, as she wanted all along, and all she has to do is apply for permanent residence in five years' time is volunteer for a few hours a week. It's worth pointing out that the reason the adult-dependent relative rules are so stringent is because in 2012, the Home Office decided that it's costing the country too much to allow elderly parents to settle here as they were considered a drain on the NHS, our universal healthcare system that's free at the point of use. So the rules were changed to make it almost impossible for them to move to the UK. This is despite the fact that prior to the rule change, only about 2,000 people used this route to move to the UK. But there was nothing they could do to stop this 93-year-old in excellent health from joining her family here on this work visa. No matter where you stand on immigration topics, and we're not going to get into all that here, I agree that every country needs their own set of rules, and they all have different reasons for doing different sets of rules and whatever, and a lot of it's more complex than most of us can ever get our heads around. They're not really designed to be cruel in most cases, but they end up seeming that way because... It's tough, and I, I don't want to get into that anyway. But good for this lawyer and Doris for, you know, staying at it and finding the, the route that would get her in. And it's a loophole, and loopholes aren't a bad thing. It just means that they found the legit way to go. She's going to work or volunteer, and she's in good health, and she has the ancestry requirements. So, okay, you tick all those boxes, then you get to come in. Same thing here in the U.S. There's, there's certain requirements you got to be able to meet. If you meet them, welcome to America. If not, well, try again. It is what it is. And hopefully she gets to spend her last few years with her family in comfort and uh, doesn't have to worry about the anxiety and depression anymore. Good for you. I used to work there. Working in a call center, I take this call. Me, good afternoon, Widgets International. How can I help you? Mac. Hi, this is Mac from the Widget King, corporate office, and one of our customers just walked off with one of the widgets you sold us. She didn't pay. Me. Okay, and how can I help you with that? Mac. I want you to put a flag on the widget and give me a call when it's sent to you for servicing. Me. Do you have the serial number of the widget? Mac. No. Me. Do you have the account number of the Widget King retail location involved? Mac. No. Me. Have you contacted the police? Mac. No. Me. Well, there's not a lot we can do. We don't have a good way to keep track of the ownership history of widgets once we sell them, so we can't really flag anything. Mac. No, 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 no. I know you can. I used to do it when I worked for Widgets International back when it was only the National Widget Company. Me. Uh. Having actually worked at the National Widget Company back in the day, I know this is BS. So. Me. 
Great, I'm pretty new here, so I don't know how to do that. But since you do, can you tell me? Mac. Uh, um, I don't know. It's probably changed since I worked there. Edit. For clarity, Widgets International is the manufacturer and Widget King is the retailer. Just one more person in a long line who wants somebody else to do all the legwork for them. They don't want to try to be responsible for anything. It was under their care. Once it's out of the manufacturer's hands, it's not their problem anymore. So, yeah. So you want to make sure our shed is to code? I love malicious compliance. Our neighbor reported our old but sturdy shed to the city for being too large without a permit. The inspector comes out, measures. Nope, the shed is well under the size limits and doesn't need a permit. Husband starts asking questions about the rules and gets all the specifics on what is allowed. The shed is old and very basic. Why not have a bigger, better shed? Oh, and by the way, the inspector knows the neighbor. She used to work in the planning department. Knows the rules and was clearly just trying to make trouble, which is her M.O. He looks into her property and says he can see a good half dozen issues if we'd like to report them. We laugh, but nah, we're going to go the malicious compliance route. We rip down the shed, hoping our neighbor is smugly gloating to herself. We do nothing for three weeks. Well, except draw up plans, buy material, lay the foundation, and line up a couple construction friends to help. Then one Saturday, our glorious big new shed goes up. Now, we hadn't heard from this neighbor in the three weeks, but now she's asking about our new shed. She'd love to see inside if we don't mind. We did. Cue another inspection notice for building a granny flat, the shed, on our property. Obviously, the inspection goes fine. Well, except those violations on neighbor's property. That unpermitted open fire pit built right against the retaining wall and fence is a concern. We don't want it burning down our new shed. <laughs> She's got a couple guys out there right now jackhammering out concrete. I think I'll go offer them some cold drinks from the mini fridge in the new shed. Busybody nosy neighbors. There's no reason for these people to be in your business that much. They're just looking to stir up crap. They want to look important. They want to feel important. Uh, I don't know. We've had neighbors like that in the past and there's just no reason for it. I don't care. I don't even care if I live where there's an HOA, well, which by the way will never happen again. But if I did, I wouldn't be turning people in for HOA violations. I don't care. As long as it doesn't directly affect my property, you know, you're not going to burn my property down. It's not corrupting my children and putting them in harm's way or my wife. Things like that, I don't care. Loud parties after midnight, once in a while, depends on how wild they get. But, you know, most of the time you can just talk to people and they'll just chill out. As far as sheds, I don't care if it doesn't meet code at all. If it hits too close to the property line, that's your problem. You want to put plumbing in it and not report it for taxes? Your problem. I don't care. You want to have a renter on your property and you're not licensed for it? Your problem. I don't care. Like I said, there are certain things that bother me and it's only things that directly affect me. Those don't directly affect me. So yeah, old Gladys there needs to get a grip. Air Force Commander makes a dumb policy. We all follow it to the letter out of spite and the commander gets taken down a few pegs by the local chief of police. While I was in the Air Force, we had a commander that was all about looking great to the public and nothing else. He didn't care for morale, personal time, or his troops in any way, shape, or form. In fact, he became our commander as punishment when he was caught banging a deployed enlisted member's wife. Oh, God. He came from a family of a few two- and three-star generals, and because he got in trouble, he was forced to command our crappy squadron with a forced retirement at lieutenant colonel after two years. So basically, he hated us, and we hated him the moment we saw each other. We knew how he got in trouble before he got to us, and we didn't take too kindly to it. For context, I was security forces, 
police, and part of our job is manning the gates and checking IDs for people coming in. There was always a morning rush from everyone coming into work at the same time that would cause traffic to back up. We would do things to try to get the cars moving faster, but no matter what we did, it was always a problem, and of course it was always the new airman's fault that everyone starts work at the same time, so the gate guards always got yelled at a lot. Well, our fearless commander got a hair up his butt and thought it would be great if we said a prepared speech to everyone when they came in to show how disciplined we are. The speech went as follows. Hello, driver's rank and name. Welcome to installation name, home of the aircraft that the installation was known for, and the home of our squadron name. Your ID will expire on this date. Your vehicle's registration will expire on date on the sticker on the windshield. I authorize you to enter installation name. Have a great Air Force day. Obviously, everyone besides the leadership knew this was the dumbest thing ever, but the commander said we have to do it, so we have to do it. The young airmen were complaining about it. When we all got on the same page at the same time, we decided that we were going to say the whole speech as slowly and clearly as possible to make sure everyone heard us, and we would do this to every single car, with no exception. If the car had a passenger, we would repeat the speech with their information after doing it to the driver. If there was another passenger in the back, we would repeat it again. When our own chain of command would drive through, they would try to stop us from saying it, but we would keep their ID until we were done. Morning traffic went from being two hours long to four hours because of how long it took to get in and created a lunch rush that never existed before. Many times we were yelled at about how long it took. We were making everyone late to work and how much they hate that speech. So we would tell them this is per our commander's request and his office phone number is public if you would like to talk to him about it. The traffic got so backed up, the local police had to direct traffic outside the base as the line of cars grew to a mile or two long. This lasted three days before the chief of police for the local city and our base commander let our commander know how they really felt about it. When we were told we no longer had to do it, our shift supervisor told us he had never been so proud of us. Having the second highest ranking person on that base tell me to my face, that speech was so dumb, never say that again, as he drove off is the highlight of my Air Force career. Yeah, I hate working under anybody who's been put in their position as a punishment because that usually means that we're the ones that are going to actually get punished. And obviously, you know, looking at back at what got him in trouble and the decisions he's making, yeah, it just proves that a lot of people in power have literally zero good decision-making skills. One student at a time. Student malicious compliance justice. This happened today as I gave a pop quiz in my math class. I have a rule about using the restroom that pretty much follows the schools. It's meant to limit how many people are out and about at the same time. If a student wants to use the restroom, they put up two fingers. I point an acknowledgement and they sign out and go. During tests, I allow them to just get up and go so long as no one else signed out at the same time. Well, today's student already signed out to use the restroom. So as one kid we'll call Scott asked to go, I reminded him only one kid can go out for the bathroom at a time. I then go back to grading the few tests that were already turned in, feeling like an a-hole to be honest. I look up to see that Scott is gone. Heels and elbows is all I see as he exits our room's threshold. I was going to stop him right there, but remembered that if it's an emergency, he may be throwing up. He returns to my fat, bewildered arse, looking at him with my goofy rhinoceros face. Before I could get a word in edgewise, Scotty pipes in, Oh, don't worry, Mr. OP. I didn't sign out. <laughs> well, can't argue with that. Again, kids. You gotta watch what you say and how you say it. Your wording is very important. Kids are very literal. He literally followed your rules to a T and yeah, so. You've been listening to Storytime with Uncle Reddit. If you enjoy this content, be sure to follow my podcast. 
I upload new episodes at least three times a week.